1: Welcome to the Soul of Enterprise, Business and the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE, transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. I'm Ed Kless with my friend and co-host Ron Baker, and folks on today's show, we are th- so thrilled to have with us Robbie Kelman Baxter.
2: Hey, Ron, how's it going? Good, Ed. I'm looking forward to this. I've read two yes. of Robbie's books this year, so I'm, well, uh, I'm ready. I've been marinating in her ideas locked and
1: loaded for today I'm sure so well let me let me bring her on first we'll do we'll dispense we'll get the the bio out of the way uh, Robbie Kelman Baxter is a strategy consultant helping companies develop and optimize membership models and subscription pricing deep expertise in subscription based and saas models and the membership economy she brings over 20 years of strategy consulting and marketing expertise to peninsula strategies her strategy consulting firm Focused on helping companies leverage subscription model, digital economy, and freemium to build deeper relationships with customers. She's the author of The Membership Economy Find Your Super Users, Master the Forever Transaction, and Build Recurring Revenue. Robbie coined the term membership economy and is now being used by organizations and journalists around the world. Thanks so much for being with us today, Robbie Kelman Baxter.
3: Oh, thanks so much for having me.
1: Well, let's start out with the basics. What's the membership economy?
3: So the membership economy is is a term I gave to describe what I was seeing as organization after organization was moving from you know from ownership to access, from an anonymous transaction to a known relationship, from single purchases to many smaller uh, payments for ongoing services, and from one-way communication to ongoing communication. And at the heart of all of that was this change in mindset on the part of the organizations where they saw their customers as members. And so I came to call that whole transformation the membership economy.
1: So talk about that difference in your mind. What is the difference between having members versus just having customers?
3: you know it's, it's such a good question um people ask all the time you know are all subscribers members what if we don't call our customers members what if we call them listeners or users or uh, supporters or whatever and what I what i came to realize is that it has to do with how the organization treats the people they serve and if they have a member mindset it means that they're planning on having an ongoing relationship with this person or this organization And so they have to treat them with that long-term relationship in mind. And so they change, you know, they change from treating them as anonymous customers to known members, and that has an impact on all of the different parts of how they treat that customer and manage that process.
1: I was reminded when I started hearing the term, and, and now coming back to you, of there was a commercial I believe in the, the 70s and 80s for American Express that, that the tagline was, membership has its privileges. I'm sure <laughs> you, you, you recall that. And that, 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 that came to mind. And I think that's a great thing to keep keep in mind, right, is that what, what are the privileges that you're developing? And you call it, it's the difference between having a, 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 a membership as a product versus membership as the mindset.
3: Yeah, exactly. So that, you know, um, that was something that, um, you know, a distinction that I came to realize after talking to a lot of a lot of organizations that many of them have a product and they call it membership, like associations or gyms. And they may not treat their customers like members at all. And then conversely, there are organizations that don't use that word membership at all but they come from a place of really emphasizing the ongoing relationship as much more important than that initial transaction. So the word is really loaded, that word membership, really loaded
1: it is really loaded but it's i think it's a good word and i think it's an important word one of the things that ron and i uh, have talked about for years and years and years is that in order to to make any change inside your organization as uh, werner Erhard says all transformation all change is linguistic so the language you use is very important and uh, it was funny before, earlier today i was talking to somebody who has a membership organization and we came to this very same conclusion you're not treating your, you you are treating your your membership as a product not as this notion of a relationship. Um and I, I have you seen <laughs> I'm gonna kinda go sideways on this Ryan Hamilton's v- appearance on the the uh I think it was Stephen Colbert show oh, where he talks neck? about where yes, where the he tries machine? to cancel his cancel his gym membership.
3: <laughs> yeah, I love that. Oh my gosh. And he's like and he like he has to come in on a Tuesday and he has to bring his firstborn and Yeah, it's um, the, the worst sin that a membership organization can do, in my opinion, is to hide the cancel button. Metaphorically, make it hard for people to get out of their relationship. And I think a sign of a really strong member oriented organization is that you can cancel at any time because that indicates that they have confidence that if somebody joins for the right reasons, they'll stay for a long time. And that the reason that they leave will be an acceptable reason.
1: Yeah. He's got a great line in the routine where he says, If you have to write a letter to cancel something in twenty <laughs> twenty, right. you're being bullied.
3: Right. I love that. And he says and he's like explaining what a letter is and he's trying to find an envelope because like who even has envelopes anymore? I love that.
1: Right. And he said at the end he says and I actually had to walk by the gym to go to the CVS to buy the envelopes to send oh, the letter. Yeah. Very injury. very funny. But but isn't isn't that interesting that and, and you know the other example that I I've, I've heard you use Ron and I have used at the Hotel California the worst membership experience of all of our lives especially if you grew up in the 70s was the Columbia House Records oh, right my gosh. which was literally the Hotel California because I bought the Eagles album <laughs> that <way. laughs>
3: And you kept trying to check out, right? <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs> and they wouldn't let me. They kept sending me stuff. And and you know, it, it's so funny that I think we've had to make this adjustment to they had some really good ideas. But what is it that we can do to adapt some of those great ideas that that Columbia House and other places had, but make them with, with the with the cancel button front and center.
3: Right. Exactly. And it's it's interesting because, you know, Columbia you know, they call that a continuity program, right? That you just keep getting something and you just get build, build, build. And a lot of the organizations that have been doing, you know, know, subscription e-commerce, I guess is what we call it today, where Mm -hmm. there's a subscription to a physical product. They don't even want to call it a continuity program anymore because they don't want to be associated with those old timey (laughs) programs that, you know, 12 CDs for a penny. Um, which of course, you know, we all did when we were about 12. And then, you know, our parents are like, why is our credit card being billed, you know, every month? How do we get out of that? And you're like, no, no, penny, mom. It was a penny. It was the best deal ever. So yeah, we're still reeling from that. And I think a lot of organizations are still trying to recover both from that reputation and also, honestly, internally, a lot of people still have that mindset of, you know, what what I would call trust, they're calling trust stupidity or not paying attention like oh they don't even know what they're paying so we'll just lock them in they're signing up because this offer sounds good they're not reading the fine print i'll trick them into joining
0: i'll trick them
3: and then they can't leave
1: it's it's horrible Um, so is subscription membership a pricing tactic or is it a strategy
3: that's a really good question um you know from from my perspective you can, have a, you can have subscription pricing and not have a membership economy business. People right now are just slapping subscription pricing on whatever they have lying around and calling it a subscription. And that is not likely to work. Um, I, I always say a subscription is a, is a pricing decision. It is not by itself a strategy. It has to come with all the other parts. What is, what is your cancellation policy, for example? Mm-hmm. Um, what is the offer? What is the promise? You know, I, I talk a lot about this idea of a forever transaction. What is the underlying promise that you're making to your customer that justifies a forever transaction? And all of that has to be figured out, I think, before you slap on the subscription pricing.
1: So curious, do you use subscription membership model for all of your pricing? Like in the work that you do. I noticed that you do consulting. You you obviously do coaching, which I would imagine is subscription.
2: Yeah.
3: Yeah, it's a, it's a good question. Um, I have some things that are subscription and I have some things that are episodic um, and mm-hmm. transactional. So um, most of my clients are coming when they are transforming their business model. And many of them choose to stay on for for kind of lighter touch coaching after that big project. But that big project is a lot of heavy lifting, and is different than that ongoing piece. So I don't price everything as as subscription, but I am always thinking about what makes sense. I, I think that it makes sense in some places, and it doesn't make sense for all purposes and all uses.
1: It's interesting because the the the. the industry that I come, come from, which is you know, Sage is the organization that I work for, we, we sell accounting software. And this is one of the big conversations inside the organizations right now who, who used to sell what we call on-premises uh, mm-hmm. software and then have now moved to software as a service. The software is now priced on subscription, but their services are not. And there is, similar to your thing, a big bang up front yeah. with this kind of ongoing thing. That said, I, I, I'm trying to coach my people to get past that and yeah. really look to, is there a way that you can make this subscription and take the quote loss leader of the big bang up front? So what, what are you, some of your thoughts on that?
3: Yeah, absolutely. Um, if like what I'd it sounds like we're, you know, we went to the same school together or whatever they say different <laughs> schools together. What's it? Yeah. You know, we, had, we went to different schools together. That's what my mother-in-law says. Yeah. Um, that, uh, what I would say is if you you probably have enough customers that you know sort of when that break even is, what the cost of onboarding is, and um, what the likelihood is of somebody leaving after you invest in onboarding them. Mm-hmm. And I would be if I were in your shoes, I would be using that data to try to optimize. And in an ideal world, you'd say it's all included because you know they're not going to leave once they go through because they it, it takes them as much effort as you to get through that process. Many years ago, I worked with a company, PayCycle, which was online payroll, Mm -hmm. Yep. and now they're part of Intuit. And one of the things that was really interesting there, we were looking, it was a little different, but we were looking at the role of free. What, What should we give away? And what we realized was the price wasn't the issue for them. The issue was the time it was gonna take for them to change from this system to a new system. And the money was much much less expensive than the time Mm-hmm. And if they went through all the effort of onboarding, they were probably not going to leave. So those would be the kinds of things I would be looking at if I were in your shoes. And once I figured that out, I'm guessing that it would be a lot easier to be confident about saying, you know, onboarding's built in.
1: I think that's very true, especially in, in the industry that I'm talking about, because yeah. no, nobody changes their accounting system because they think it would be fun. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> hey, let's do this. That would be fun. No, they're doing it because they are in a world of hurt someplace. Yeah. Like their current system is significantly deficient in some way. Because really, with accounting systems, and I hate to say this as someone who works for a company who does this, debits equal credits, all yeah. systems. But ultimately, it's what those things can do. Wow. We are already up. Actually, we're past our first time for a break, so I apologize to Ron for stealing a minute from you. I'm sure he'll get it back from me in the second segment. But we wanted to remind our listeners that the best place to get a hold of Ron or me is sending an email to asktsoe at verisage.com. The website is The Soul of Enterprise, where you can see show notes as well as previews to upcoming shows. And those of you who might be interested in being sponsors of The Soul of Enterprise, please do send us an email. We're looking for more sponsors as time goes on, although we just have been renewed for another year by sage my organization so let's hear an advertisement from them and from our other sponsors
4: become our friend on facebook post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline visit facebook.com forward slash voice america
1: sage provides accountants with compliance reporting and analytic solutions to do more for their clients
4: never have to hear my voice again for a commercial free version of the soul of enterprise go to patreon.com/tsoe and subscribe now we're always talking business talk to an expert call now toll free 866-472-5790 that's 866-472-5790 voice america business network
0: we're tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
2: Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Robbie Kelman Baxter, the author of The Membership Economy and the Forever Transaction. And Robbie, on your membership economy book, you talk about the move from customer service to customer success. There seems to be a customer success department in a lot of subscription-based businesses. You also talk about how membership is an attitude, whereas subscription is more just kind of like a financial arrangement because with a membership, you're committed until you cancel, right? I mean, you have to actively break up to, to cancel. And Ed and I think about this in terms of choice architecture. And psychology, there's just something deeply different about whether you call it membership or subscription, about joining something versus just entering into a transaction.
3: Yeah, abs- I totally agree. Um, and and I think about it as you know, when someone subscribes to something, they relax. What we want them to do is relax into the subscription and say, ah, you know, this is solving my ongoing problem or helping me achieve an ongoing goal, and. I have price certainty and I can go worry about other things, right? This is how I'm going to get that job done. This is how I'm going to do my accounting. This is how I'm going to, you know, entertain my kids, um, whatever, whatever that is. And it's a very emotional and psychological benefit. And, you know, something that I think a lot of companies undervalue is that in ideal situations, it's supposed to be great for the customer to have the subscription. It's not just about, we want to do it so we can get recurring revenues, so we can get a higher market valuation, so we can get all kinds of data. It's also supposed to be a really good feeling for the person who's paying that that regular fee.
2: Right. I mean, the peace of mind yeah. And the convenience, like you say, I think they're completely undervalued. I, I, I'm i a recovering CPA and I work in the uh, accounting, legal, advertising space with professional firms. And I'm trying to get them to move to this and realize that, you know, you, I know you talk about this in the book about this all-you-can-eat option. But like concierge doctors or direct primary care doctors, I do think these firms could set up, hey, whatever you need, you're covered. Yeah. <laughs> Anything are capable of doing under our roof, you are covered. If if you get audited, you know, just like a doctor, whatever, you, you need stitches, broken leg fixed, whatever, they'll do it. You're covered. And yeah. that, that, that just swaddles the customer in this peace of mind and convenience that it, they'll pay dearly for that.
3: <laughs> so when I was a teenager, um, my dad is a lawyer and he gave me a job working for him one summer. And he made me bill the way lawyers bill at the tenth of the hour. <laughs> oh, right. So so <clears throat> one tenth of one hour waiting for elevator, three tenths of an hour waiting for this partner to sign this document. And you know, it's so emblematic of the legal field, not to pick on lawyers, but oh, go ahead. you the meter is always running. You're always wondering, is the meter running? Do I really need to be careful here from a legal perspective, or can I just take a flyer because I don't want to get another bill? And if lawyers could come up with a way to say, we're going to, you know, why do you go to a lawyer? You go to a lawyer to either protect you from, uh, from what might happen or to help you fix something bad that already happened, right? Those are sort of the two reasons. And if they said, look, for a fixed price, we'll protect you from bad things happening and we'll, you know, fix broken things when they break. And, you know, there's lots of ways to put, you know, guardrails on that. But conceptually, that's what people want, right? I want peace of mind that if something goes wrong, I have a lawyer in my corner.
2: Right. You know, I think about, we talk about, because Ed and I, and I know you're speaking or you spoke already at the Professional Pricing Society, right? Ed and I are faculty members there. So we've been teaching value pricing for years and value pricing was all about, and you say this in one of the books, uh, pricing the customer. It's the airline model. You're pricing each customer, not the seats, the customer, yeah. whether they're business, leisure, when did they buy their ticket, all those types of factors. And in the subscription model, what's different is you're pricing the relationship. I think about the Porsche drive program. I can subs- I'm can i not subscribing to a car. I'm subscribing to Porsche. That's yes. a big, big difference, isn't yeah. it? Yeah,
3: it's, it's such a big difference. And that example of Porsche to me is so, you know, and the car industry more broadly, lots of different car manufacturers, automotive manufacturers have subscriptions right now, but the customer they're optimizing for really varies. And in the case of Porsche, where, you know, for, for listeners that aren't, that aren't familiar with the Porsche subscription, it's called Passport. They give you access to a fleet of Porsches. So theoretically you could drive a, you know, convertible on the weekends and an SUV during the week. um, And that, appeals to a very particular type of person. And what they learned, which I think is so fascinating, is that the person who loves that subscription most is somebody who's never bought a Porsche before. So right. they're young, new, new customers, tomorrow's customers. And it was a way for them to get exposed to everything that Porsche does so well. And then they can decide, do I want to buy one? Or do I want to continue having a subscription to a fleet? totally different from the way that Volvo's subscription works where you're subscribing basically to a single car and it it's slightly different there's some there's some nuance but it's basically feels a lot like having a lease um, right. so there's there's a lot of different ways to structure the value to really align like you said pricing the customer rather than pricing the car itself
2: and 80% of the passport members are new to the brand yeah. which is phenomenal uh, they did rebrand it by the way it's Porsche drive. They got oh, rid of Passport, right, right. and I, I'm, I'm bummed because I thought Passport was great marketing. Yeah. One objection we get from firms, and I'm sure you hear this all the time, is, well, what about that one-off service? You know, I think you call them a la carte services, that one-off, and I'm like, okay, well, you could you could carve out and price that separately, but if you're constantly doing that, why can't you just bake it into the model?
3: Yeah. Yeah, it's exactly. And I have this conversation as well. And and the way I think about it is sometimes just for practical reasons, they're really scared of getting burned because they don't. And the reason that they usually want to carve something out is because they don't understand usage for that, for that service. So they're like, well, what if everybody, you know, what if everybody wants that special feature? What if everybody signs up for all you can eat legal things? And then they become incredibly litigious. Right? Because they don't, so they're like, let's just say any lawsuits are priced separately, you know? And then over time you realize like, you know, it's like, it's like a buffet, right? You worry when you put the caviar out there or the oysters, but the truth is 90% of people don't like those things and they're gonna go for the bread, right? right? Which is cheap. And so if you understand that usage, it becomes easier to bake it into the model. So what I usually advise is if you're really scared and you have very high variable costs associated with a particular benefit, um, It's fine for some finite period if you wanna carve that out. But the goal, as you said, Ron, should be to bake it in as soon as you're able and really learn how that usage is. And um, because otherwise you can't relax into it. The more complicated your pricing is, I think the less your customer is able to trust you because they have to become an expert on your pricing model. And if I have to become an expert on how United prices seats on an airplane, right? I'm trying to game the system. I don't trust them. I'm not going to relax into it. I'm not going to say they're going to charge me a fair price for fair value. I'm going to say it's them versus me. And I better have my wits about me at all times.
2: Right. This is actually, that's just one of the main disadvantages of value pricing, pricing the customer. And, you know, we at PPS for a long time thought that that was the trend. You're going to, you're going to have individual prices for each customer, but the membership, economy kind of blows that up and says, no, no, make it transparent, make it Netflix and just let people use what they need. They're not going to abuse it. They're, you know, maybe 2% might use 20% of your resources, but you can, you can price for that. You can actuarially price the portfolio. That's right. the other thing I love about this model and spread that risk amongst all of your customers.
3: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's, it's such an interesting thing because you talk about transparency. Um, pricing for membership is, the membership pricing needs to be simple for the customer. That doesn't mean that it's easy for the company to figure out that pricing. It's, it requires Absolutely. very sophisticated pricing expertise, but it, to make it look so simple to the, to the customer.
2: Right. You know, you said something about the airlines that I just love. You said that they're an example of an electric fence rather than a <laughs> magnet. I love that. Do you, do you think the airlines, will we see any major carriers like United move to a subscription option where you just pay them, you know, whatever, 50 grand a year and they'll fly anywhere you need to go.
3: Yeah, I, I see, you know, I've seen sort of second or third tier um, airlines trying this and experimenting. Um, and I wonder, you know, I think United has experimented a couple of times over the years with different different models that are a little closer to this. But, you know, ultimately I think they would have to change their whole their whole mindset to do this. Um, they're so fixed on maximizing the last penny, um, and they have so little trust with their customers. Um, you know, I don't, I don't think that, I don't think that they're going to go this way. I really, I really don't. Um,
2: do you think they should,
3: I think if one of them did, it could be a huge differentiator and create, you know, and really solve a problem for a particular customer segment, um, but I think, you know, what I've said about the about the, the airlines is that they don't really care if you like them or not, because if you live in San Francisco, as, as, as we do, um, you know, you have to fly United right. because they're the biggest ones. And so whether or not they're nice to you, whether or not they price well for most of our flying, for most of my flying, I'm going to fly with them. So they don't have a lot of motivation to build a trusted relationship with me. They have huge motivation to build loyalty programs and reward me financially with my spend for my spend, but they don't really have a lot of incentive to, to have me like them or not like them.
2: Right. We've got less than a minute, Robbie, but just real quick, do you think this is easier to do for a company that's really focused? I mean, I'm thinking like the difference between Coke and Pepsi, Pepsi's involved in food and fast food and all this stuff, but Coke just does beverages. It's much easier if you're focused, isn't it?
3: I think so. And it could be focused on a product or I think even more if you're focused on a customer segment. If yeah. you really know students or you really know fun or vacation people, I think that's a lot easier than, easier. than trying to do a lot of things.
2: It's easier to put guardrails in. It's easier to bake in those a la carte one-offs, all, all of that type of thing. Yeah. Well, this is just great. There's so much more I want to ask you about these books because they're. I really enjoyed both of them. I think they're both really great very thought-provoking pieces of work so congratulations or I know the forever transaction came out this year right
3: yeah in, yeah in March
2: so that must I'm sure it's doing really well I we talk about it all the time so <laughs> wow
3: well thank you uh, you made my day uh it means a lot coming from you
2: oh well it's it's is really great I think this is cutting edge this is bleeding edge stuff and and that's that's how we know it's a great idea it scares people Right? Yeah. Anytime you're out there scaring people, you know you've got a great idea. So anyway, <laughs> folks, we'd like to remind you you can get a hold of me or Ed, send us an email to ask TSOE at Verisage.com, check out the soul of enterprise.com for full show notes. And also go out to patreon.com slash TSOE and become a member. And that is now sponsored by 90 Minds. It's a matter of minds. So check them out at 90minds.com. And now we want to hear from our sponsors.
4: Commercials plus bonus content. Go to Patreon.com/tsoe. Subscribe now and be free. You're worth it. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network.
1: And we are back with Robbie Kelman-Baxter, author of The Membership Economy and The Forever Transaction. Uh, Robbie, I wanted to, to ask you a little bit about something that you said during an interview with Singularity University. You said, in order to move to a subscription model, the company needs to have developed a competency in innovation. And first of all, interesting verb t- tense. So, f- 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 past perfect, right? Needs to have developed <laughs> um, a-, a-, a competence in innovation. So, is an innovative thinking style a pre requisite to membership economy?
3: Yeah, I think so. So, the the reason I came up with, or you know, kind of came to this conclusion was that you know, for most of my career, I've lived in in Silicon Valley. And I've worked with a lot of SaaS companies, a lot of consumer internet companies, um, companies that really pride themselves on innovation and agility and um, always experimenting. And as I've broadened my customer base and the kinds of organizations that are interested in the work I'm doing um, to to more, you know, consumer products, insurance, um, durable goods, and so on, I've noticed that a lot of them really don't have that muscle. They, they, you know, I remember the first time I worked with a company outside of my kind of core space, and we were talking about moving to a membership model, and we were talking about what needed to happen in order to move and begin our experiment. And the IT guy said, "That's great. That'll probably take four years, forty-eight months." He said, and like, I, I mean, you could have knocked me over with a feather, but he just <laughs> didn't, you know. I mean, they were really thinking that they were going to launch their first experiment four years after we started talking. Um, and, you no, know, I was like, you're not going to get there. You know, membership is really about iteration, continuing to improve the product for the customer, continuing to evolve, being nimble, not falling in love with your products too much, falling in love with your customers and understanding what they need. And 48 months to a beta is just not going to cut it.
1: Yeah. <laughs> 48 months.
0: That's... 48 months.
1: That's hysterical. Um, one of the things I wanted to ask you about is, I know you've done some work with Netflix, and they are very uh, tie, tied into the fact that they have one choice. It's this, here's, here's your choice, this is what you do. But I know that a lot of folks are saying, and, and we in, in value pricing have always talked about giving at least three choices to a customer. Mm-hmm. What is your thought with regard to subscription in, in, in regard to offering choices, and also, what have you learned about creating the what we call fences between those choices, that, that to to make them the uh, optimized, I, I guess would be the term.
3: Yeah, so it kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier in terms of the more complicated your pricing, the less your customer is able to to trust you. Um, you know. It, I think Netflix has been, you know, in my, you know, like one, one example that I think is really interesting to consider is Netflix has the one kind of one offering for the most part, you know, they, they offer a few other, you know, sometimes they'll say if you want eight or one and they have some different things, they still have DVDs and, and such, but for the vast majority of people, we're all getting the same program and compare that to news organizations, which are still mostly of the mindset that that you described earlier, where every customer has a different price point. Um, you're pricing that individual customer, and in the tiny print it says, you know, your price for the first year will go up fivefold for the second year. I mean, really crazy stuff, right? You know, right. year one is twelve dollars, and year two is eighty-five dollars. <laughs> you're like, I, I'm sure I signed it, but I can't imagine that I would have understood that. Um, and and so I think that you know I give Netflix a lot of credit because they do keep the pricing really simple. And what I usually say to organizations that wanna be like, you know, we know about the power of three, we wanna have three offers, is start with one. And then if you have a compelling reason to have a second offering, i.e. a different customer segment, a different use case, um, then we'll talk about layering in other options. But, But start with one and really focus on understanding that one first.
1: And and what has been helpful with regard to when you do go to the more than one choice uh, about creating clear differentiation between those choices, one of the things that I see mm-hmm. oftentimes is people don't have enough distinction between yes. those choices, and wondering if you had any thoughts or insights on that.
3: Yeah, I mean, what I what I usually say is um, you need to be able to say this this offering is for people who. So that it's really clear, not this, and not this offering is for pe- for people who want these eighty-five features as opposed to those seventy-two features, but this is if you're if you're a hobbyist, and this is if you're a professional. Um, this is if you have a family, and this is if you're single. This is you know if you like comedy, and this is if you like romance. Um, so that it's really so if you can't explain it in a sentence to a customer and say you belong here if they can't find themselves on your website or in your pricing plan uh, you probably don't need to have a second offering it probably doesn't doesn't or a third or a 125th um, because you start you know you start getting into that same problem of wanting to a la carte everything out it's like a restaurant right you have the you know the the buffet and you might say the omelet bar is separate right? But if you start saying, and also if you want berries, that's separate. And also if you want juice, that's separate. You might as well go back to your a la carte menu because people are aren't going to understand they're not going to be able to relax into like this is sunday brunch so i can have whatever i want
1: <laughs> uh, you brought, brought up that you know in the in the, in the uh, brazilian steakhouses i'm i'm mm-hmm. always a fan of that the salad bar and the bread that they give you which is mm-hmm. absolutely delicious that's just a diversionary tactic to get you not to have the right. meat so <laughs> avoid that <laughs> Right, just right. don't have the salad don't
4: um, let them distract
1: you don't let them distract you from the the but I uh, wanted to ask you about something that Teen So has written recently about. I know the author of the book Subscribed, and he says that freemium is dead and, and long live the free trial. Uh, do you have any thoughts on that? Or is, are, you, are you of that mind now, or are you still, hey, freemium still has its place?
3: Yeah. So first of all, something that I love about, first of all, that's a great book, Subscribed. Second of yeah. all, Teen is, I think he's really brilliant and he's, he's really creative. Third, he is a a provocateur. He likes to provoke. He likes to say everything should be a subscription business. You know, freemium is dead. He's he, And it's great because it really forces you to sort of think like, is there a role for freemium? I need to think more carefully about that. What I would say is a little more nuanced, I think. Um, free trial is a taste of the most delicious thing you have because people don't know what it tastes like. Um, so it should be small and it should be delicious. Um, I think those are the two mistakes that people make with free trials. Uh, they give you too much. Like when my sister worked in a frozen yogurt store and people would come in and taste four different things and then they'd leave because <laughs> they were full, right? I mean, so that's the, that is the risk of a free trial, right? It, it's true with a lot of the streaming content companies, right? We, we take the two-week free trial, we binge watch the show we want to watch, and then we leave. Um, so that's the issue with a free trial. It, and then also they, you don't give the best thing you have. So people are like, this isn't that good, right? So if you're going to give them a free trial, give them the full package. Don't like cut corners freemium is like hamburger forever free trial is filet mignon and a tiny bite of it uh, freemium we're back to the brazilian steakhouse freemium is the most tender uh is, is is hamburger freemium is hamburger freemium is the salad bar right you know have as much as you want it'll fill you up and the only times to do freemium i think there's sort of three big reasons to give freemium one of them is if the freemium people are part of the product so this could be a network effect. Right, You joining for free makes it more valuable for me at LinkedIn, because then I can find you. Um, I'm willing to pay to have access to you. Uh, if If it's an ad based model, right, the advertisers will pay for more eyeballs. So if you're reading it and you're the kind of person that that advertiser wants to get your attention, that's great. So that's one reason for freemium. Second reason for freemium is to truly change a habit when somebody doesn't believe it will ever be a habit. So this is what happened like with news, print news moving to digital right i don't believe i'm going to read my news digitally i love holding it while i watch my you know drink my cup of coffee in the morning sure i find that i keep hitting the 10 articles in the month and i'm like oh i guess i really am reading digitally i should probably subscribe and stop hitting this paywall and then i think the last reason that justifies freemium and this is a much smaller reason is if some of the people that are using it free are actually driving purchases by other people So this could be an influencer. This could be a viral product. um, But if the people that are accessing it for freemium are actually bringing in other customers who are paying, that's a, that's a good reason. If if your freemium model doesn't do one of those three things, you shouldn't be offering a freemium model.
1: That's, that's a, that's a great answer and a great, great example. I love the way that you give the, 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 the the example of the meat and all that that was perfect.
3: perfect.
1: Yeah. Um, so I had a question. I, you talk a lot in your courses about ethics and the, and trust being an important thing. And th- I'm going to put you on the spot here a little, I think. What about the, subs- the, the ethics of a subscription model for, say, a pharmaceutical company? Should we be able to subscribe to, say, Moderna <laughs> for early access to future vaccines?
3: Oh, that's really interesting. Um- that's that's I, you. You took a sharp left turn there.
1: Um, <laughs> yes, because, I did. <laughs> I, I, I only have one more minute with you, so I figured I had to go. <laughs> <laughs> well,
3: what I thought you were going to say is a lot of a lot of medical companies are moving to subscription because yeah, they need compliance, right? right? And if yep. you make it a habit and remove all the friction, maybe you'll actually take your pills every morning, right? And so that's actually great, is to say, and also to focus on instead of saying I'm going to fix you when you're broken, I'm going to make sure that you never break. Right, mm-hmm. so that's really powerful in terms of giving people access to better care because they're willing to pay a premium. We're already doing that, right? We have concierge medicine, for example, which is, you know, it's not necessarily getting access early to the drug, but it is getting access to the best doctors um, mm-hmm. in greater quantities, and you know, getting a you know backstage pass to the hospital so you can you know avoid <laughs> right. the crowd at the front door. So yeah, I mean, I. I think from an ethical perspective, big picture, I don't know that it's the right way for the world to go. But from a design of product perspective, people are willing to pay a premium for their health, which is the most important thing. And we have a long history of that.
1: Sure. And the argument on the other side would be is that if people are on a subscription, they're helping to fund future vaccine development. For oh yeah, absolutely. Those. It makes so, a bit of sense. Yeah. So, is it, so, but, but, I think that for that from the ethical side, my my argument would be, well, yeah, I get early access, but I help fund the development of, yeah, that. The, the vaccine. So it, 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 anyway, great answer. I know that was a, a, a sharp it's left, fun. but I do really appreciate that. Yeah, it's a lot of fun to think about all of these different models. And which is, by the way, one of the reasons why we have our Patreon site is because we have the freemium option that you're listening to today. Or you can go listen to our Patreon site where not only can you hear this episode commercial free, but also our bonus episodes that Ron and I do after the show. But right now, a word from our sponsor and my employer, Sage.
0: Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN.
1: Sage provides accountants with compliance, reporting, and analytic solutions to do more for their clients.
0: are tuned into The Soul of Enterprise with Ron Baker and Ed Klass. To find out more about our show, visit us on the web at thesoulofenterprise.com. You can also chat with us on Twitter using hashtag AskTSOE. Now, back to The Soul of Enterprise.
2: Welcome back, everybody. We're here with Robbie Kelman Baxter, author of Forever, The Forever Transaction. And Robbie, you wrote something in here that I absolutely love and I find very incredibly thought-provoking, especially one of our Verisage colleagues, Tim Williams, who works in the marketing advertising space as a consultant. You say a forever promise is different from a brand promise. How so?
3: Yeah, it, you know, it's 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 a, it's a really you know it was something that that perplexed me when I was trying to think about it because people say, oh, it's like our brand promise, but but the the forever promise is to the customer. It's as long right. as you do this, we're going to do that for you. We're going to solve your problem. Um, and, a, and a brand promise is more about, you know, this is what we make. This is what we do. This is what we believe in. But it doesn't necessarily get into this is what we're going to do for this specific group of people that we serve.
2: Right. It's uh, it, it goes all the way back to the relationship, doesn't it? There's just yeah. <laughs> something about putting the relationship at the center of the business. And I know you talk about this as being more than just a pricing model. It's a, it is a business model change. And I'm kind of a student of business models and I've learned two things about them. At least two things change when there's a new business model, the pricing strategy changes, you know, we go from buying uh, CDs to buying 99 cents a song and now we're subscribing. Right. But the one, the other change that always happens and I can't find a single solitary exception to this, maybe, you know, one, but the other thing that changes is your dashboard. Your KPIs are completely different. Airbnb has a different dashboard than hotels and Uber has a different dashboard than taxi cab companies, and you say you know some companies think of themselves as product companies. We we all say we're customer based and relationship based, but our measurements don't reflect it. Our measurements yeah. track transactions. Yeah. So how important is changing those measurements internally?
3: Well, first of all, I love those two those two points you bring up about the pricing changes and the metrics change, um, and. You know, I—I I mean, I devoted a whole chapter in the Forever Transaction to specific metrics of a subscription business, um, yeah. and you're right. It—you it, know—you can tell right away when you talk to a company based on what numbers they're talking about, whether they are truly member mindset organizations. Um, it's a, it's about you know what's the impact we've made versus how many units have we sold. It's about quarterly revenue versus lifetime customer value. Um, you know, there's you you can just see it in in how they talk about how their business is doing, and it's also true of the you know the way that they price reflects a, a goal towards moving those metrics.
2: Right, right. I you know I think a lot of even a lot of accountants don't understand. The, uh, the income statement for a subscription business with that rolling forward of the annual recurring revenue and the calculation of customer lifetime value and all of those things, this is all new. Yeah. Gap doesn't deal with this very well. Uh, and so a lot of companies, I think, need some help thinking about the metrics because we're so used to that transactional mindset.
3: Yeah, yeah, it's, it's so true. And it's, you know, I always say, you know, everybody in the organization, I think one of the things that my clients don't like that I say is, it's not that easy to do this. Like they'll come, like, especially in March of of 2020, they came to me and they are like, Quick, we need some subscription revenue. As though like, I was like, well, subscription revenue is exactly the opposite of Quick. Um, But also it's the opposite of easy because it's not just about marketing, you know, changing the pricing and changing the copy on the website to say, hey, we now have subscriptions. It changes the way you design products. It changes the way the finance team works. It changes the way you sell, the way you support. And if you're not in for the whole transformation, you're going to run into bumps very soon out of the gate.
2: Right. You know, we interviewed Joseph Pine. He's the author of The Experience Economy, and his highest level is the transformation. And I just think this fits so beautiful with having a, a business model that puts the relationship at the center, because when you provide customers with transformations, the customer's the product.
3: Oh, I love that.
2: That's awesome. I mean, what's, what's higher than that? You're actually transforming the customer from where they are to where they want to be. Um, you know, we try and keep track of every subscription-based as I'm sure you do, and you probably do a better job than we do. But it's, inund- it's inundating just how many. You can subscribe to all sorts of things now. Has there been something recently that's really excited you or impressed you about? I mean, I see Rome. You can subscribe to houses. You can subscribe to a boat now from Brunswick you know, with with uh, uh, sailing lessons from a captain and all this kind of stuff. Is there anything out there that you see that's really novel and new?
3: There, yeah, I mean, of course, lots of things. Um, some of the spaces that I find interesting, I spoke last year at the um, Association of Equipment Manufacturers. That's heavy equipment, Caterpillar and Rolls-Royce and, you know, threshers and crushers and, you know, lions and tigers and bears. Uh, right, right. That was really interesting, the move from, you know, services around the product to actually the product becoming a service that can be subscribed to because it aligns so much better with what the customer actually needs, right? I don't need to own a crane, you know, a few times a year I need access to something very high up or to move something or what have you. So that's interesting. Another one that I think is really interesting is Carbon 3D, which is the 3D printing company Mm. here in, um, in Redwood City, California. They make 3D printers, a novel way of making 3D printers, but you can't buy the printer. You have to subscribe to it. it. They also have, and and that way, all the data comes back to the headquarters and they can benchmark you. They can tell you, you know, you're not using the product in the most efficient way. They can see if you're going to need maintenance. They can do a lot of things to give you a better experience and better output. Um, And then they also have their resins. So they also have that razor, razor blades thing going on where, you know, if you're subscribing to their printers you probably want whatever special kind of resin is optimized for the kind of products you're building so i think they're they're on the kind of bleeding edge of thinking about both new models and also new ways of manufacturing which i think is like this whole new area both for pricing and also for just rethinking the business models which i think are pretty old
2: and then you when i you start thinking about the internet of things Yes, that's going to be just an effervescence of 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 this, isn't it?
3: Oh yeah, I mean a- absolutely. Um, thinking about you know what would it be if you had a smart table that knew what you like to have on you know for dinner or what you were eating or you know just thinking about um, all of the power of sensors in agriculture and agribusiness that you would know where to move the you know whatever piece of heavy equipment in your field, right because of the. The sensors that are telling you what's going on, and then the expertise um, through machine learning, you'd subscribe to that so that you'd know where to move your stuff, where to move your people each day. I mean, there's some really kind of crazy and interesting models out there that could transform, like I said, you know, not just manufacturing, but also, you know, agriculture, construction, you know, businesses that really haven't had the same level of innovation as, you know, software or uh, you know, kind of internet-based products.
2: Right. The other thing you point out, and I love this, that many companies prioritize acquisition over retention, but that's a misplaced mindset. And we see this all the time, right? Your cable company gives somebody six months free and you've been a member for 15 years and they give you nothing. How do you coach your people through that?
3: That Yeah. Well, I, I say, if you're, if you truly have a member mindset, that means that you reward people who are loyal to you you recognize them for their loyalty, and you, you recognize that they, you treat them better because they trust you, right? In the same way that when I have a client who says, Robbie, just bill me what you think is fair, I'm gonna work a lot harder to make it fair because they're putting their trust in me. If I take advantage of them, I can do that one time and they won't work with me anymore. And so I feel like with these companies that are like, oh, they'll keep, you know, our longtime customers, they'll keep paying because they don't even look at the bill, right? Number one, that's just bad karma. And number two, if that person who keeps paying the bill happens to bump into their neighbor when they're both picking up their newspaper in the morning and realize they're paying five times as much for the same paper in the same neighborhood, um, they're going to be really, really angry and they're not going to come back.
2: Awesome. Well, Robbie, this is great. Any, Any new books in the works?
3: No, um, no, I, I'm working on a podcast. Um, okay, great. Uh, I, have, I have a ways to go to be as, as smooth as you guys, but uh, subscription stories, uh, I just launched it this, uh, this summer. So that's been a kind of fun, creative project for me.
2: Oh, fantastic. Well, that's going in my feed. So I look forward to that. <laughs> so, well, thank you so much, Robbie. This has been fantastic. We knew it would be. And uh, oh, congratulations no on the books. They're really, really good. And we recommend them highly. So Ed, what do we have coming up next week? Next week?
1: Ron, we have Peter Robinson going to be on the show from Uncommon Knowledge.
2: My hero and the author of Ronald Reagan's Mr. Gorbachev Tear Down This Wall speech. I'm really looking forward to that. See you in 167 hours.
1: This has been the Soul of Enterprise. Business in the Knowledge Economy, sponsored by SAGE. Transforming the way people think and work so their organizations can thrive. Join us next week on Friday at 4 p.m. Eastern. That's 1 p.m. Pacific. And in the meantime, please feel free to visit us at www.thesoulofenterprise.com.